engineers are taught and trained that there's one right answer and you get all of your information data and then then you act on something. And in the business world, one of my big learnings from business school was that you don't get 100% of the information. You almost never have 100% of your, your, your ducks in a row before you have to make a decision. And you don't have to have 100%. Um, as you get more comfortable as a business leader, I, I think you have to get comfortable with that ambiguity. And sometimes you have 80% of the information or maybe 60% of the information. That's Jen Sargent, the Chief Operating Officer of the podcast network, Wondery. I'm your host, Patrick McGinnis, and this is FOMO Sapiens. When the world's spinning out of control, it can be impossible to know what to do and what to miss out on. That's called FOMO, which is short for fear of missing out. How do I know? Because I coined the term and I'm the world's first FOMologist. And this is the show where I ask entrepreneurial thinkers, people I call FOMO sapiens, how they live and work with conviction no matter what life throws at them. FOMO. FOMO. Welcome back, FOMO sapiens. Now, if you're a podcast junkie like me, you might be familiar with Wondery, the startup podcast network that has produced some of the world's most popular podcasts in recent years, including shows like Dirty John, Dr. Death, and Business Wars. In fact, Wondery has more than 10 million people each month who listen to their shows. It's a lot of people, even more than FOMO sapiens. Now, those hits and that audience have caught the attention of Amazon, which just announced that it was going to buy the company and I imagine try to take on Spotify in a big way in the podcast space because podcasting is the next big thing in content and advertising. And right now there is a gold rush happening in the industry and there is so much FOMO. It is insane. Everybody's going to buy a podcasting company pretty soon. Now, my guest today is right at the heart of the industry and she knows all about this stampede for content, talent, listeners, and profits. Jen Sargent is the CEO of Wondery where she's in charge of expanding the podcaster's audience and revenue. And before that, Jen was the co-founder of entertainment company HitFix and was the president of Uproxx Media Group. Now, I wanted to talk to Jen because I really wanted to see, I mean, a little selfishly, but also for all of you, where the heck are podcasts going and what actually makes a good show? And then I wanted to understand her own journey because she went from running her own startup, she sold it, she was then working for a bigger company, and she jumped to Wondery, which is a startup, but you know, not her startup. So she didn't start something new by herself. And I wanted to understand how she thought about that and what were the factors that were behind her decision. And so we're gonna get into that. Now, one thing I should mention up front here is that we actually did this interview right before the Amazon deal was announced. So we do talk about a prospective deal, but we don't talk about an actual deal because it wasn't public yet. But we talk about many other topics, as you'll see in the conversation, we do get into perspective scenarios about what happens to a company like Wondery once it becomes part of something much bigger. But first, I wanna remind you, FOMO Sapiens After Hours, every Monday, it's the new snackable version of FOMO Sapiens. We talk about things that we talk about on the previous week's episode. We take questions that people send to me. So if you have a question or an idea, please reach out to me at letsconnect.patrickmcginnis.com or on Twitter at PJ McGinnis or on Instagram at Patrick J. McGinnis. I want to hear your questions and I always look forward to hearing what you're thinking. Also, make sure to subscribe to FOMO Sapiens so you don't miss any episodes of FOMO Sapiens and After Hours. And now onto the interview. So here's a fun fact. When we were chatting before the interview, Jen and I discovered that we actually overlapped at Harvard Business School. She was a year after me. And so I had to ask her the one question that I really wanted to know, which is, 
did she remember using the term FOMO way back in Boston all those years ago? I totally remember that term. Um, and I feel like before you invented it, um, I, I have experienced that many times in my life. And um, it's something that I've had to personally grapple with in, in my personal life and professional life. Um, and I think as human beings, we all uh, are susceptible to this. In uh, business school, you know, especially at, at HBS, it's all about building your network and the social events. And um, your showing up at these events is just as important as participating in the case studies, right? And so um, you want to make sure that you're at you know, all the events that happen and the most important ones, and you're connecting with the right people and you can't be two places at once. So, um, so, so yeah, that was totally a feeling, uh, throughout business school. Okay, good. I did not tell her to say that everybody it's real. The FOMO was real. <laughs> so Jen, how did you get dragged into the wonderful world of podcasting? Well, um, I live in Los Angeles and, uh, I'm constantly stuck in traffic, uh, and, I have long commutes to work. I have for many years. Uh, so I started listening to podcasts, oh, a good uh, four or five years ago. And when I thought about changing jobs, I knew that passion was always a big thing for me. I really like to personally use the product or the service. And um, and when I thought about podcasting, it was something that I, I thought, you know, I, I'm going to love to listen to podcasts all day long. Um, but that was only part of it. I had been in digital media for about 20 years and I was really frustrated about, um, what was happening in digital media. And I felt like the business model was upside down that my old company Hitfix, uh, which I was a co-founder and CEO of, and then the company that acquired us Uproxx, I was president there, um, experienced some of the same challenges, which were basically that, advertising alone as a revenue stream was not covering the cost of the content. And we would always be hoping and praying for volume on every video and every piece of written co content that we created, that it, it, that it essentially, um, you know, would get a million views or a million hits, uh, to, to, to have basic break even. And that's a very frustrating business model. It felt like we were pushing a boulder up a hill. And so, when I got to a point where I was ready to move on and this opportunity came up with Wondery, I scrutinized the heck out of it. I really was not sure that I wanted to go down this path. And after meeting the founder and CEO, Hernan Lopez, who's you know a really dynamic, uh, brilliant, uh, forward thinker, and hearing his vision, um, that got me part of the way there. But then after digging into the possible model, uh, the revenue model for podcasting, you can create a modest size podcast and have it be very profitable just on advertising. And then if you create the right type of podcast, like an evergreen show that has some longevity, you can make it once and monetize it many times through licensing, through IP development. Uh, it was clear there might be potential for subscription models and all of that, you know, made it really, really exciting. And so Wondery was early at that time in terms of starting to explore those revenue streams, but it was clear that that was going to be a possibility. So this combination of a personal passion of mine, as well as, uh, you know, a revenue model that made sense really, really got me into podcasting. Podcast is kind of a weird, it's a weird industry if I think about it, because number one, 
you have all these real big companies coming in now, like yourselves, for example, that are, you know, serious players making very, I would say, evolved content. You guys do a lot of narrative content that are storytelling and stuff like that. And then you have all these people that are making shows in their basements, right? Or, or uh, you know, in their bedrooms or wherever that is. And, and those are really popular too. And then you have the fact that this is an industry that a lot of people are saying is only in the early innings. And so even though it seems like everybody has a podcast right now, it's still the early days for the industry. So as you kind of were thinking about the podcasting space, like it's not like there's that much data out there, right? It's not like you just could like, you know, find all that much out there in terms of, you know, huge companies and case studies. How did you, how did you think about this, this very sort of, I don't know, fast moving, fast changing space? Well, I took a lot of lessons from the digital space. Like I mentioned, my my entry into digital media was right during the internet boom of the late 90s. And so I got to see that wave of companies entering uh, a greenfield space, trying to create business models, learning some hard lessons. And then fast forward to the recession of 2008 and nine and what happened to those companies and more lessons they learned and how um, these different business models evolved, what's happened on the video streaming side of things, consumer behavior in terms of how they're, how they're expecting to um, access content, which is on demand, how they've been trained to find and access content. So we're at this really special time right now where technology doesn't need to catch up. Everyone has a phone in their hands. Um, people mostly have Bluetooth in their car or a way to connect their phone to their, to their car sound system. And so wherever someone is, they have access to potentially listening to podcasts. Um, so, so that was a big factor for me because it wasn't like you had to wait five years for, for technology and the content to come together. Uh, when I joined Wondery, there wasn't quite as much content available as there is now, but I think it's really encouraging and exciting for the industry, the fact that you can have these independent um, publishers and people out of their basement creating good content. Um, that lower barrier to entry uh, allows a lot more content to come into the market, which only means that a broader, longer tail of consumers can find things that they're interested in. And so those aspects of this were really exciting to me. I looked at models like YouTube where, um, you know, you do have this long tail of content and you have um, people out of their basement creating YouTube videos. Well, that, that opportunity exists in podcasting. And then combine that with the lessons we've learned in the video space of, of on-demand and multiple uh, revenue streams and, and models being able to coexist. There's ad-supported content. There's um, completely paywalled content like Netflix and everything in between. And so um, all of those factors help me think about, you know, what could be possible for podcasting. And so you show up to Wondery, you know, your, your guns are blazing, you're ready to go. Quick math, the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, or delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, access from anywhere. 
You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you improve efficiency by bringing all major business processes into one platform slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, so do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. And with rising prices everywhere you look, you got to do the math and save money. Good news, by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. So head over to netsuite.com slash FOMO. That's netsuite.com slash FOMO. netsuite.com slash FOMO. But you had left a company that you had started, right? So you had founded a company that was acquired by another company, and then you were helping run that company. I had imagine, I got to think you're, you're kind of leaving behind your baby a little bit. So was it hard for you? And I think, you know, this is the thing that when people are entrepreneurs, they may build and sell a company multiple times over a lifetime. And there's that moment where they have to decide when to do something new. Was that hard for you to leave behind this thing that you had built? At first it was, and that was probably the reason I stayed at Uproxx for two years because I really wanted to see it through and I wanted to see my quote unquote baby, you know, get integrated, grow up and, and have a home within this larger company. When I ultimately left Uprox, they were on a path and I had helped them on this path to getting acquired themselves by Warner Music. So I knew that the company at that stage was facing a whole new opportunity, a new phase of its development. So that made it a lot easier to make that 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 trade-off and that change. But yeah, it's definitely something I thought about. And uh, I, I think the frustrations that I had with the business model and just how far we'd be able to take it at that point became so clear that, that um, I really wasn't willing to continue with that model because I felt that, you know, my team and I were working so hard to just break even when that amount of effort and time applied to a better business model could yield amazing results. And so as you, as you're looking around, this opportunity comes up, I imagine you also kind of toy with the idea of maybe doing something new on your own, right? Starting something, you've done that before. It's no mystery to you. What was it about, I guess, as you thought about maybe you're joining something already up and going versus something you would do for yourself? How did you think about those, which to do of those two choices? Um, well, having, sometimes it, it's, it's, it's better to have unknowns when you're making decisions. Um, but in my case, I, I had been through uh, the startup thing. I had, I had started something from scratch. I, I had started my company at the bottom of the recession. So I'd seen the worst of entrepreneurship in terms of the challenges of launching a business, but also having these externalities, these very real externalities, kind of controlling the marketplace and uh, not necessarily being able to know how they're going to play out. I think we're in a situation like that with the pandemic right now, right? Where people who started companies uh, this past year have had to really navigate a lot of unknowns that were completely out of their control. And so having been through that, it, you know, my, my rose colored glasses were tainted a little bit. And I knew that um, the grass is not always greener when you start your own thing. So I was really trying to draw from my lessons learned, which is you need a business model that can scale and you need a business model that can make sense. And the unit economics are important and passion for me was important. So that was really what helped drive my decision is, is the things that I had come to know as truths and, and could I find them in this podcasting business model? And, and yes, that was the case. It's a really interesting case study because I think sometimes we think, well, once you become an entrepreneur, 
that's it. You'll never work for somebody again unless they acquire your company and you're working for them. And then you'll leave and do another, another, another. And what you're, what I'm hearing from you, which, which makes a lot of sense to me is, listen, the startup thing is great. You know what it is. You can always do it. But it is also, it's a hard road to hoe, especially if you don't know exactly what you want to do. And if you find something that you're passionate about and you can enter at the right level to really push the business forward, actually, that can be a really compelling way to get involved in something exciting, but with a different risk profile. And so you show up at Wondery, they're doing well, they're growing, and your job, which is no small job, is to figure out how to make it bigger, how to make more money, how to, how to monetize, how to, how to make the business more robust. And that's a, big, that's a big challenge. And you could do, I imagine, one of many things. And obviously, the name of the show is FOMO Sapiens. You could have the FOMO and go after maybe things that look great, but don't end up working out. So how did you think about prioritizing opportunities when it was your turn to start making the decisions? So there were a number of things that, that, that I looked at and everything's a trade-off um, when you're making these decisions. Uh, every, everything's a trade-off. Uh, it's, it's, it, it, and it's usually a trade-off for your resources. It's time, it's money, it's your opportunity cost. And when I was thinking about a few different things to pursue, especially in my role, which is very broad, I cover licensing and partnerships and non-advertising revenue and had this idea for subscription revenue, but we didn't have a product in that department. And, and so it was really about, you know, what are the things that are going to bring us long-term value? What are the things that are in our wheelhouse and skill set to do? How much data is out there that I can collect on why this makes sense? And then how do I just get to a decision? Because, uh, you know, one of my biggest frustrations with working at large companies or the large companies that I've worked at in the past is sometimes you have to go through so many levels of approval and there's decision blockers all the way through that by the time you get to a decision, the opportunity has passed or someone else has beaten you to market or a decision just doesn't get made. It kind of hangs out there in the ether. And one of the lessons I've learned is that kind of time kills all deals. So when you're presented with these opportunities and you have enough information to make an informed decision, make the decision <laughs> and move forward. Um, so those were all things that I, I looked at and I pursued a few things in parallel, you know, the idea to um, build a subscription business. Well, that was not a snap your fingers and you have a subscription business. That was two years of planning, convincing, um, building out a team than building out a product versus other things like some of our licensing and international opportunities were a shorter time frame to start to plant those seeds. So, um, but, but those were all the things I looked at. I, I, I looked at the, the trade-off with the resources, the time, our skill set, that type of thing. And you mentioned when you have enough information, which is I, I want to dig in there because like, for some person, enough information would be, you know, I don't know, one binder full of stuff. And for some other person, it would be, they'd never get there, right? They've got the old classic FOBO analysis paralysis thing going on. So for you, how do you figure out what quote unquote enough information is? This has evolved for me over time. So I'm an electrical engineering by uh, electrical engineer by training and engineers are taught and trained that there's one right answer and you get all of your information data and then, then you act on something. And in the business world, one of my big learnings from business school was that you don't 
get 100% of the information. You almost never have 100% of your, your, your ducks in a row before you have to make a decision. And you don't have to have 100%. Um, as you get more comfortable as a business leader, I, I think you have to get comfortable with that ambiguity. And sometimes you have 80% of the information or maybe 60% of the information. Hopefully you have more than 20 or 30% of the information. But you have to think about whether this decision is reversible or not as well, you know, because a lot of times things in business can be unraveled. I mean, we've seen that in some of the biggest mergers and acquisitions of all time have eventually gotten unraveled. You know, there's very few business decisions that um, can't be unraveled, but there's some that can't. So if you feel like it's a type of decision that you could change your mind later or change course, you don't need 100% of the information. Um, if it's something that once you put it out there, there's no coming back from it, that's where I look to have more information. Um, but but uh, that's that's been a learned skill for me um, to not have 100% and, and move forward. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I think, well, I don't know if they taught us that at business school, but, uh, but another thing that happens when you're making decisions, of course, is that the world doesn't stop while you're making. So you're like, you're off there evaluating something that you want to do. And then- your competitors are out there doing their own thing, or there's large companies with a lot of money who maybe want to enter the space. And so podcasting in particular, there's been a lot of, there's been a lot of heat out there. There's been a lot of startups in the space. There's been Spotify, which has been buying companies and investing in it. And so you have all these kind of like high profile things happening in this very dynamic market, which I have to think as much as you want to put on your blinders, like you hear about this stuff and maybe it, it can be a little, I don't know, nerve wracking to know that you have these well-funded people out there that are attacking the same place as you. So how do you sort of stick to your knitting when you have very high profile, well-funded competitors in the same market as you? I can argue it from both sides, but I think being an independent company and frankly, being a smaller organization means we can be more nimble. So there are plenty of things where I see Wondery or companies the size of Wondery be able to execute much better, much, much faster, um, and jump on trends um, than a larger company, you know, like, like a Spotify. Um, and, and that's simply due to the size of our organization and our ability to make decisions quickly. And um, that's, I think, a competitive advantage. So I try to keep that in mind as I think about, you know, these well-funded companies going after the space at the same time, you know, their moves right now. Um, and, and, and when you're looking at the larger competitors in your space, no matter what space you're in, you see the investments and th that they're making. And, and actually a lot of that becomes much more public, right? So, so then you, you say, okay, well, what are they really trying to get to? Because these larger companies typically take a longer term view. So, what are they trying to get to in 10 years or five years? And knowing I can move faster, how do I adapt to make sure that I'm taking their their their, their bigger moves into account? Um, I'll, I'll give you an example of that is just, you know, Spotify making so many investments in their ad platform and being able to essentially, potentially, you know, become the YouTube of podcasting. Okay, well, that's not going to happen overnight. But, you know, the, the moves they're making are, are clearly sending them in that direction, or in my opinion, sending them in that direction. So how do we wondery navigate? If, if that's the case, wh wh what does five years from now look like for us 
in that landscape. Tudo bem, meus queridos Fomo Sapiens? Now that right there was Portuguese. And as you know, I love speaking foreign languages. But I'm not alone. One in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list. If that's you, make 2024 the year you finally check it off that list with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, and delivered with conversation-based teaching so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Now, FOMO Sapiens, you know I speak four languages, and it takes work to stay on top of them, especially with French. C'est difficile. But with Babbel, I'm able to practice practical conversations that I can actually use in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash FOMO. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash FOMO. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash FOMO. Rules and restrictions may apply. Now... There's been some press out there that you, your company, Wondery, is also have certain people that are looking at buying it. I mean, I read in the press, Amazon, for example. I mean, you're not going to talk about that. Obviously, you can't confirm or deny anything. But what you, I'd love to hear you talk about is when you, you know, eventually, if you did become part of a bigger company, what are the kind of things that you learned from your last experience about keeping that nimbleness, keeping that ability to move quickly alive when you are part of a bigger organization? Gosh, I think that varies. Um, quite a bit, depending on the two organizations coming together. I think that uh, acquisitions often don't work out, you know, and and some companies have a track record of doing it well and, and others don't, but essentially it's a marriage and you have two separate cultures coming together. So have those two cultures decided to live in side-by-side houses and not move in together? Or are they, you know, are, are, are they really um, combining? And if they're combining, then you have to pick one. You pick one culture. You can't have two cultures um, live together exactly in the same house. You know, you either say, okay, we're acquiring you and, and you, you're, you get to kind of be independent or we're integrating and, and, and it means we're really integrating. When you kind of come short of that and, and try to meet in the middle and only half integrate, and take a few things from this culture and a few things from that culture, that's where I've seen um, acquisitions go sideways. Where is Wondery going to be in five years? Like, what are, you, what are you building now that we're going to be using in five years? In five years from now, my, my hope is that we are a global brand synonymous with high-quality, immersive, character-driven stories. And in five years, you as the consumer may first encounter us as a TV show or a book or an event, God willing, if we get back to in-person events. And then you will make your way back to one of our podcasts because what we've been doing to create IP and develop IP and connect our brand with the stories that we tell is, is, is starting to infiltrate all different types of media. And I think five years from now, um, we, we will have that brand that sits above the individual shows and the individual you know, pieces of content. And, and you'll just know when you see or hear or touch Wondery, you know, what you're getting. Yeah. And if you want to make FOMO Sapiens a TV show, just have your people call my people. We can discuss. Definitely. <laughs> uh, now, Jen, you said you love podcasts. And I've read somewhere recently that basically now everybody has a podcast. So I'm wondering, do you have a podcast? And if not, what would your podcast be about? 
Yeah. You know, I, I have an idea for a podcast, but I would not be the host. I I'm not sure I'm interesting enough to, uh, to be the host, but, um, I really want to secretly hide a microphone in my husband's car and record him when he makes color commentary about LA traffic, because it is just so hilarious and funny. And I think particularly anyone in LA could, um, could uh, empathize with with his frustration around uh, everything from Sunday drivers to people crossing the street to uh, driving on. The- <laughs> now, would this be would this have an explicit rating? That's the that's the big question. Yeah, not not for children. Yeah, so that that limits the audience, as you know, uh, from being in the world of podcasting. But definitely, I, you know, modest sized podcast can be very profitable. So. That's very true. Okay. And final question. So you, you're not a creative at this company, obviously at Wondery, but you are, you were out there growing the marketplace for content. So you, I'm sure work very closely with creative teams to figure out what is good content. So for anybody out there who's listening, who also doesn't have a podcast, maybe has a couple ideas or has a podcast that maybe they're looking to evolve, what makes compelling content in the podcast space? So I would start with your listener. I would start with the consumer and say, when anyone listens to your podcast, they're giving up time. They're giving up 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. And if you look at the research and what we found is uh, people who regularly listen to podcasts have five to seven podcasts they listen to a week. And that's pretty standard. So when you're launching a podcast, for some listener out there, they're going to replace one of those five to seven podcasts with your podcast. What is, what's the why? Like what, what is going to, what are they going to get out of this? Why is it compelling enough for them to knock out Joe Rogan or the daily or, um, Dr. Death to, to listen to this particular show? Have you hit on a certain niche? Are they going to learn something? Are you entertaining them? What, what is the why there? And if that can't be clearly articulated, then you should go back to the drawing bar board or poke some holes and, and, and really figure out why people are going to listen. And we found that that consumers listen to podcasts for, for two things, to be educated and to be entertained. And when it's entertainment, it can be pure entertainment. It can also just be a full like escape from their daily lives. Um, but you have to check a box for them. Makes a lot of sense. And I hopefully people are getting both of those here on FOMO Sapiens. All right, Jen Sargent, super interesting. Thanks so much for being on FOMO Sapiens. Thank you, Patrick, for having me. This was this was fun. FOMO. Big news. We now have a brand new website. So head over to FOMOSapiens.com where you can listen to past episodes, learn more about the show, and find out how to advertise. Also, head over to Spotify where you can find and follow playlists of the best of the show. You can also connect with me on Instagram at Patrick J. McGinnis, on Twitter at PJ McGinnis, and on LinkedIn. I'd love to hear from you, so don't be shy. FOMO Sapiens is recorded in New York City. Theme music is by Mike McGinnis, and editing and post-production is by Josh Elstro. If you like today's show, please be sure to rate it and recommend it to your friends. And as always, you can find me at FOMOSapiens.com and at PatrickMcGinnis.com. To advertise on FOMO Sapiens, reach out to contact at FOMOSapiens.com. FOMO.